Good morning, church. It's a pleasure to have each and every one of you here this morning, even if you are sleeping. I'm going to ask you to take God's Word in your hands and turn to the book of Luke this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, grab that Bible in uh, the pew rack in front of you or in the seats, uh, in the blue chairs in the back of the auditorium. And you can find our passage in those Bibles on page 871, page 871. And we continue. In fact, we're halfway through our series uh, that we've entitled The Seven Deadly sins, looking at um, seven sins that the early church pointed out and told Christians, not only of their day, uh, but for the days uh, beyond, uh, that we need to be looking out for particular sins because those sins in many ways are the source of all sins that we struggle with. And and today we find ourselves looking eye to eye uh, with a sin that not only has a stranglehold on us as a culture, but sadly this is a sin that it is very easy for us to struggle with as Christians and never be chastised, never be uh, exhorted uh, to move away from it. And far too many Christians today find themselves entrapped by the sin uh, that we're going to talk about this morning, and that is the the sin uh, of greed. Now we've used this series as we've looked at each and every one of the sins uh, up to this point uh, to first of all understand the insidious nature that sin plays in our lives. Sin is alive and well, uh, not only in the world... But in our lives, if you were to rewind this past week and and go through the events and activities that you were part of, the thoughts and actions that filled this week, you will see that sin has a way of creeping into our lives sometimes without us even knowing it. But we also recognize that that was not God's uh, desire for his people. That as Christians, as followers of his, he doesn't just tell us to stay away from these things as if we're missing out on something good, but he is has given us a path towards righteousness because he says in that path towards righteousness and not in the path towards sin will we find joy, peace, and contentment. Will we find the abundant life that God created us for? But the problem is sin lies. Sin deceives. Sin tells us that it's far more fun, far more pleasurable, far more worthwhile to pursue the pursuit of sin than it is to pursue our Savior. And so we need to take God's word, and we need to allow it to speak to our lives. We need to allow it to expose uh, each and every week the deceitfulness of sin. And while sin may look attractive, while sin may uh, look appealing, that in the end, as the Bible makes so incredibly clear to us, that sin will always lead to death. And so we take on God's word and we take it into our hands and we ask the Lord to teach us and remind us of this truth because we as people want to live abundant lives. We don't want to be in the bondage of sin and in the bondage of disobedience. We want to live abundant life, the life that our creator called us to live so that we may experience his joy and his peace and his blessing. But sadly this morning, The sin that we will be addressing, the sin of greed, has a chokehold, a stranglehold on many of us, even the most faithful at times of Christians. You see, greed is alive and well in our society. 
Growing up, I remember uh, so often in the middle of a program I was watching, a commercial would take place and Ed McMahon would come on and he would tell you maybe you're the next great winner of the publisher's clearinghouse. And he would show pictures of people holding balloons and cameras and, and then there would be pers- a person holding this great big check with so many zeros. I mean, you couldn't even come up with the amount of money they were going to give. And Ed McMahon would say, maybe you're the next great winner. And we love that. We love that idea of dreaming about that someone's going to come to our house with a camera and a microphone and tell us we're the next millionaire, right? We think that that would make all the wrongs in the world disappear. But now more than ever, in fact, greed in in my lifetime has grown to exponential proportions. Uh, Right now on CNN, they are doing a series of of, uh, TV programs on the decade of the 80s. I love it. I love looking back, and i got to be honest with you, when I watch some of the clips and some of the clothing that was being worn at the time, I start to feel old. And yet in in one of their video uh, uh, programs, they talk about the greed of the 80s. That we couldn't get enough of the stuff of this world. That everybody was wanting uh, more and more. And the great thing about America is we can get all that we could ever desire and all the more beyond that. But here's the amazing thing. In my lifetime, there's been a phenomenon that has shown America's pursuit of greed. And that is what we call the lotto. The lotto. You see, uh, in my generation, the lotto took form. And, and I want you to recognize this morning, there's no entertainment value in the lottery. I mean, okay, maybe there is entertainment. If you like watching a air chamber pop out little ping pong balls for 30 seconds, and you think that that's worth spending dozens of dollars or, or a whole set of dollars on, well, then you need to find out what real entertainment is, Okay. But the lotto is a pursuit of greed. I will take a little money, and because I want to get rich, and I want to get rich fast, I am going to take money, and I'm going to feed the greed that I have, and and I'm going to hope, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to believe that when those little ping pong balls fly up, my number will be called. To put it into perspective, I want you to notice this morning, What the uh, study uh, says, uh, it comes from the Recording Industry Association of America, and and it says this, we spend more on lotto tickets than on our music, our movies, our video games, our books, and our sports tickets combined. Holy cow, that's a lot of lotto tickets. And here's the amazing thing, I watched a program not too long ago, and, and it shared the story of past lotto winners. And it had a a couple on that had won the Powerball. This isn't your regular daily three-pick lotto. This is Powerball. you got to get a whole bunch of numbers right, and then you got to get the the important number right on. And the chances of you getting it are one in in some huge astronomical number. And they had this couple on, and it was this older couple from the country, I believe, of of, uh, the Appalachian area, West Virginia or, or Kentucky. And they had won hundreds of millions of dollars. And when interviewed Two years after winning those hundreds of millions of dollars, they said their life was a complete mess. That they lost friends. They lost the understanding of what was really right and important. Their marriage fell apart. And they said the moment that they won it, they thought all their problems were taken care of. But in the end, it led to disaster. You see, that's what greed does. 
Now, maybe today you don't feel like greed is that big of a deal. Maybe you say, Pastor, I don't deal with uh, the issue of of lotto. Um, You know, that's not a problem for me. Well, maybe your greed is manifested in smaller ways. But before we get too far into this sin and thinking that it's somehow benign, thinking that it's only involving my disposable income. I mean, really, how bad can it be if I spend a little money here and a little money there? We have to recognize this morning that greed hurts all those involved incredibly deeply. First of all, greed will hurt us as individuals. If we're driven by greed, we will recognize that greed always runs around with two friends, covetousness and envy. And so greed comes as a result that you see something someone else has and says, well, I want that. And greed says, uh, because someone else has it, well, I deserve it, and so I'm going to go after it, I'm going to pursue it. And most of the things that we buy are based on those two sins, the kissing cousins of greed. And we don't even want to believe that. Let me help you with a, a, a little scientific study. Think about how you look at your car when your neighbor buys the brand new one. Think about how you feel when you've just left the house of, uh, of your friends who bought that brand new, brand spanking new, the smell is still glorious and none of the smells of three boys in the Badal home. It's glorious and it's fully furnished and you go back to your shack. And it, it works in us. And it says, wait a minute, I deserve more, I want more. How many of us now that the iPhone 27 or whatever number they're on now, okay, has now been unleashed, do we look at our phones and say, what a piece of junk. I need that because, I mean, whoever would think that having headphones that have wires to it would be such a problem. You see, we become envious and covetous of something we don't have. And so we want more. Second, greed will not only hurt ourselves with an insatiable appetite for more, but it will cause us as individuals to disenfranchise, rob, and steal from others. And we do so not always in the way that you think. You see, our greed, whether we like it or not, is hurting people. Let me remind you that greed in many ways is similar to the idea of lust and gluttony. Greed is the the pursuit uh, or longing for material things. Gluttony is the pursuit and want of more food than we need in in the simplest of forms. Lust is the desire to have something uh, with regards to pleasure uh, that isn't ours. And greed is in many ways that way. And we can see and we've just heard how, how lust, the greed and desires, excessive desires for sexuality is impacting an entire generation of teenage girls in Thailand and other parts of the world. And we recognize and know that that greed impacts the, the pursuit and desire of financial wealth or material things has impacted us as a nation. In 2008 and 2009, this country experienced the single greatest economic downturn since the Great Depression. In fact, we lost more money as a country and in fact as a world than ever before in human history. Trillions upon trillions of dollars were lost in a single period of time. And the number one reason? Greed. Wall Street marketers selling what are called derivatives. 
uh, taking junky bonds and junky stocks and putting them together and, and saying, you know what, everything appreciates, and so buy these things up and you will get more and more money. We had banking, uh, a banking industry that said, listen, if we're going to remain strong in our market share, we've got to sell mortgages to as many people as we can. Because everybody's doing it. So if we're going to stay competitive, we've got to do it. And then we had people that were signing off on mortgages on houses they never should have been in. But because of greedy hearts, they said, but I deserve it. I want it, therefore I should have it. And so we need to recognize this morning that we are experiencing as a country still the effects of greed gone wild. But I want you to know this morning that the picture of greed isn't something new. It isn't new uh, to us as a society. It isn't something new uh, for us as individuals. Greed has been around for a long time. Who can forget uh, the great story of uh, Ebenezer Scrooge from Dickens in the Christmas Carol. Ebenezer, the guy, was greedy. And his greed led him uh, to lose his joy, to lose his relationships, to lose friends. And it stole all of what he had, but he had his money. He was a greedy miser, unwilling to leave the money to leave his hands. We recognize and know that it can hurt us. How about the stealing and robbing of a guy like Bernie Madoff? Millions upon millions of dollars lost. People's inheritances, people's investments gone because a greedy man said, I can steal from people without them knowing and I can make millions. And that's exactly what he did. You see, greed is a problem. But what exactly is greed? Now you say, well, I'm not Bernie Madoff, I'm not Charles Dickens. But it's amazing, every time America asks the question, who wants to be a millionaire, it seems that there are a lot of hands going up. We want money, we want material wealth. But what is greed? Greed, very simply put, you can write this down, is the excessive desire, the excessive desire to acquire, the excessive desire to acquire, or possess more than one needs or deserves. It's the excessive desire to acquire or possess more than what one needs or deserves, especially with respect to material wealth. This is material things. This isn't lust, pursuing pleasure. This isn't gluttony, pursuing food. This is greed, pursuing material wealth or possessions. So how does one go about rising above this issue of greed? What is the Christian to do with regards to greed? What does the scriptures tell us about overcoming greed? To answer these questions, we've got to look at three things this morning, and hopefully it will help us to find real blessing and God's answer in fighting and overcoming greed. Number one, we need to look at two conflicting stances regarding it. There are two competing worldviews with regards to greed. Now, while there may be multiplicity of stances on the issue of greed, they all literally fall into two waging worldviews. The first one uh, is uh, given by the proponent of this first view is the guy named Gordon Gecko, Not Geico Gecko. okay? Gordon Gecko. 
He was the fictional money-hungry, dog-eat-dog lead character in the 1987 movie Wall Street. He was played by Michael Douglas, and in the movie, Gordon Gecko articulates the heart of most people today in America, and sadly, far too many of us who are sitting in this place. In his idea, he would say, greed is good. Greed is good. So grab all that you can. Grab all that you can. In an iconic speech in the movie Wall Street, he says the following, Gordon Gecko. He says, the point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for the lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. You see, greed clarifies. It cuts through and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all its forms. Greed for life, for money, for love, for knowledge has marked the upward surge of mankind. And greed, you mark my words, will not only save a particular company, but it will save the malfunctioning corporation called the United States of America. In his nutshell, Gordon Gecko says, greed is good. Well, how much of Gordon Gecko is beating in our chest this morning? We hear that monologue when we seek to buy more stuff. That excessive desire for more things. Not things that we need. Not things that will help us live life. But things that just feed an appetite that will never be satisfied. This view of greed is alive and well. And wherever we go. Now you can justify the issue of greed by saying the following. You're helping the economy. You're doing your part. Or you're keeping people employed. Without you doing that, people wouldn't have jobs. Or uh, we deserve it because we work really, really hard. So I work hard, therefore I should be able to play hard. And that's the motto and belief of Gordon Gecko. That's why greed is good. Our heart says if our neighbors got it, I got to keep up with them. And while Americans struggle to agree on much these days, they speak in one singular voice that greed is good, so grab all you can. And that's what we do. That's why there's shopping malls. That's why one of the most uh, largest companies and most profitable companies is Amazon. A website where we can buy to our heart's content. And it's delivered to us. It's a new marketplace. But amidst Gordon Gecko's overwhelming voice in American society, there's a voice from the fringes. And it's a voice that screams out against culture. It comes from a viewpoint that puts Gordon and many of us in our place. A voice that many of us don't want to hear. It's not a voice from the present. It's not a voice from a movie star. But it's a voice that echoed, uh, that words have echoed from the 2,000 years since it was spoken. And they speak volumes to every one of us today. And we should take them to heart. And that is the view of Jesus Christ. You see, Gordon Gecko and Jesus Christ are at odds with one another. Well, Gordon Gecko says, greed is good, grab all you can. Jesus says, listen, money and stuff, oh, it can be helpful. But recognize, 
It comes with many hazards, so watch out. You see, money has a way of doing something to us. Now, I I want you to recognize that when we look at the words of Jesus, and we look to the words of Scripture, we become, if you will, pendulum swingers. Because what we begin to do is take the scriptures out of context. What we begin to do is to redefine or rewrite the words of scripture. And what we will hear so often is, what does the Bible say about money? And someone will repeat back that money is the root of all evils. That's not what the scripture says. It says the love of money is the root of all evils. And so we need to recognize this morning that Jesus does have a stance on money, on material possessions... And there are what I would like to say five observations with regards to these. Write these down somewhere on the outside of your outline. These may be of some help to you this morning. First of all, when looking to the scriptures and the words of Jesus, nowhere in all of scripture does it say it's a sin to have money or to have stuff. Nowhere. It doesn't even say that you can only have what you need. Okay? It doesn't say that at all. There's nowhere that it says that even being rich is a sin. Here's the thing. Jesus used money on a daily basis. He used money for life. He used money for ministry. And he was supported by the money and assets of others. So Jesus isn't against money. Jesus isn't even against people having lots of money. In fact, many of the individuals who supported Jesus were rich people. And they supported his ministry, and they supported the ongoing ministry of 12 guys to focus in on on, on leading people to the kingdom of God than having regular vocational work. Number two. So number one, no place does it say that having money or stuff is a sin. Number two, many of the people who were faithful servants of God were people of great means. The patriarchs were people who had lots of money. Some of the greatest followers of Jesus Christ are people of great money and great prestige. Kings and queens. People of great authority. People with great money. Abraham was a wealthy man. Now, does that mean, and I want to be very clear this morning, that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will be wealthy? The Bible never says anything about that. But we need to be careful that some of the most faithful individuals of Scripture were people, again, of great means. And God used rich people to do great things for him. But let us recognize and also understand that God used the poor of this world. That Jesus himself speaks of a woman, a widow, who gives her two mites, two less than two pennies. And the Bible says that she gave more than all others. And so it was serving God isn't about rich or poor. But God uses both for his kingdom and for his purposes. Number three, the Bible makes it clear that money can be a hindrance to accepting the gospel. Jesus makes it clear in the New Testament that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, does it mean that you can't be rich and enter the kingdom of God? No, it just means you've got a lot more to go through and and to make sure you steer clear of. Because pursuing riches is all about the here and now. Pursuing the kingdom of God is about pursuing eternity. Those two issues are always going to wage war against one another. Number four. We are called throughout scripture 
to be generous in giving back to God in tithes and offerings. God has given us money. He's given us capital. He's given us assets. But he wants us to be open-handed with those things, especially when it comes to giving back to the Lord through the entity of the local church and ministries. That, that we can further the kingdom. That we can help serve the kingdom by giving of our tithes and offerings to the Lord. And finally, the Bible reminds us that our riches, our money and our stuff, ain't going with us. That just like we were born naked into this world, naked we shall return. You see, I've done a lot of funerals in my day, and one thing I've never seen is a U-Haul truck hooked up to the hearse. I don't ever see the guy taking his big screen TV in the coffin. You see, the cradle and the coffin are the same. They only fit us as an individual, not our stuff. And so the Bible's clear. It talks about what money and stuff can do. And we can use it. It can help. It can be helpful. But it comes with many hazards. The Proverbs are full of the fool who runs after riches. So Jesus articulates what we need to do. Now he tells a story. Notice point number two, the convicting story regarding greed. This is where we get to our text this morning. In Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13, Jesus is teaching to the crowds. He's dealing with the Pharisees in the first part of chapter 12. He's telling them not to be fearful of of, uh, what can happen in this world, but be more fearful of God. He then tells them that they should acknowledge Christ not only before God, but before men. And as he's preaching his, uh, this teaching to the, to the crowd, someone comes up to him. And notice in verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, my, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I should probably do it in a more whiny voice. Teacher, tell my brother to give me the money that my dad left us. And Jesus stops. And Jesus says, hey, listen, man. Who made me a judge or arbiter over you? What Jesus is saying there, don't get me involved in things that run contrary to my kingdom. I get that you may feel that you have, have been let down by your brother. I, your brother may be stealing from you. Listen, the kingdom of God is not the accumulation of wealth. It's about something greater than that. And so I'm not going to waste my time, Jesus says, in trying to settle this dispute when you should find your sustenance, you should find your blessing, not in the abundance of possessions or money, but in a true and right relationship with God. So Jesus says, listen, I'm not going to bite. I'm not going after that. That's not what my kingdom is about. So he turns to the rest of the crowd and he says to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So right away Jesus tells us that at the heart, listen, the heart of money issues is a heart of covetousness. And so maybe, and I mean, how many of us have fallen into the family money issue? Where a parent or a grandparent or the aunt that you never met leaves money, but leaves a little more for someone else. 
Or someone gets more of the inheritance that we thought they should get. Or things weren't uh, set out equally. And we, we throw up our arms and we're like, how dare that individual? Well, let me tell you something. As a Christian, Jesus says, don't have any part in that. Don't have any part in that. This life isn't about the abundance of possessions. And where it comes from is a covetous heart. I want something that I believe I deserve. And I want it, and I'm going to get it, no matter what I need to do. And so we need to be careful of that. And so Jesus announces to the people, be careful. Life is, and this should be a motto, this should be on our bumper stickers. Life does not constitute, I'm sorry, consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he tells a parable, he tells a story that's going to fall in line with that thesis statement. So he tells a parable. He says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, the man did, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Let's stop there. Jesus tells the story. He tells the story as a master teacher after someone has come wanting to have an issue with his brother about not sharing the inheritance. And he tells a story that would do us well to allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to impact our lives and to challenge the way we live and to challenge the way we spend money and to challenge the way that we pursue things. But a couple things we've got to learn about this story. First of all, this story is about a man who had some good news. The text tells us that he's a man who, whose land produced plentifully. That is, good things happened. I mean, that's something to rejoice about. We learn who he is. He's a farmer. And there's an overabundance of crops at harvest time. That's a good problem. Now let me stop there and share a couple observations about him. He's a farmer who has worked long and hard doing his job. Doesn't he deserve an overflowing crop? Doesn't he deserve some level of riches? He's worked hard. This isn't the schlub who asked for part of his dad's inheritance, right? Give me something that I haven't worked for. This guy's a hard worker. And Jesus uses the occupation of a farmer because they were some of the hardest workers in the first century. Second, there is nothing to say that he was greedy in his desire that forced him into farming. It doesn't say there was a man who was greedy for money, so he went and became a farmer so that he could have an overabundance of crops at the time of harvest. No, this is a guy who simply is working hard. He has no premeditation that he's going to have any good fortune. He's working hard, and then all of a sudden, instead of getting 40 bushels an acre, he gets 200. What a great thing. What a wonderful thing. He wasn't looking for it. It just happened. Number three. 
we are told that while he was a farmer who worked hard and had a bountiful harvest, he did so, and this is very important, Jesus gives no inclination towards any foul play, corruption, or even evil desires. We are told that he was rich even before the windfall. He was rich, and that means in first century time that he had more than he needed. That means if we use that definition, all of us are rich. And this is a story that preaches to the 21st century probably even better than it did the first century. Because we are rich farmers who have more than what we need, and we have, by God's grace, been given an overabundant harvest. And the question is, what are we going to do with our wealth? What would God call us to? Now we know that God looks at this man who starts tearing down his barns and his storage units and starts building bigger ones, that this man's a fool and that he's going to lose his life and he says, and who's going to get all of your stuff after you're dead? You see, he was greedy. He was greedy for himself He never had a thought regarding the worship of God, the needs of others. And we see within this story some symptoms of greed that will apply to our lives. Number one, greed comes from the sin of abundance. You see, go to the streets of Calcutta, India. You're not going to find greedy people there. Why? They barely have enough to live if they're lucky. So they're not thinking about more, more, more. They're looking for just enough. They're content with some clean water and some food and and, and whatever shirt and, and clothes they can put on their back. You see, you won't find greed in Calcutta, but you'll find it in Chicago. Because in America, we have an abundance of stuff. We have an abundance of money, we have an abundance of time, we have an abundance of resources, we have the abundance of stores, that we can get whatever we want, when we want, how we want it, and it comes because of overabundance. Notice seven times, seven times in verses 13 through 21, we are told that he has more than he needs. Notice verse 15. Uh, we talk about the abundance of his possessions. In verse 16, that his harvest was plentiful. Verse 17, uh, it says that he has more than he can store. Where am I going to store all my grain and all my goods? I have ample goods laid up, verse eight, or 19 says. So many for, for many years. Not for the day, give us this day our daily, but I've got it for years to come. I've got so much, verse 21, I can lay it up. I can store it. And how true is that for us as Americans? We struggle with the sin of too much. Our kids have too many clothes, or too many toys. We have too many clothes. We have too many gadgets. And it leads not to vibrancy, but slothfulness. I can sit back, eat and drink, and be merry. I can live the good life. I can eat off the fat of the land. I don't need to think about God. I don't need to ask God to give me what I need today because my bank account says I have more than I will need. Or 
I will run and I will pursue until I get to that point. We have to beware that in a culture, in a country that has so much, that the sin of greed is abounding. Number two, greed comes from a selfish heart fueled by uncontrolled appetites. It comes from a selfish heart that has uncontrolled appetites. Twelve times in our passage, you will see the farmer use a personal pronoun. Look at them. Notice there was a rich man, his, his land produced plentifully. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I, ha- I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. There I will store all my grain and all my goods. I will say to my soul, soul, you, speaking of himself, have ample goods laid up for many years. Over and over again, we see the heart of greed. And, and where we see the heart of greed in our own lives is when we put the spotlight on what we want or what we have. It's all about me. It's all about I. It's all about number one, as the country music song says. It's about us. But the problem is, it is fueled by uncontrolled appetites. Do you know the difference between a need and a want? A need is something when, when it is taken care of, you don't have a hunger for more. A want remains an ongoing need. You need to have it, you need to have it, you need to have it. You see, a need, I'm hungry, I can be filled. A want says, I'm going to want and want and want. And notice every year we go through this thing that we need the newest thing at Christmas time. And, and what is it? It's just different than what we wanted the year before. It's never satisfied. It's never enough. And so here greed has a way of us uh, not thinking of others, not thinking of God. Nowhere does he say, you know what? My neighbor could use some grain. Or, or that group of people that I've come to know down, down the road, they could use some grain. Or, or maybe I can give it away to my children or, or to my friends. He doesn't say any of that. He never asks the question, God, what would you have me to do with it? You want to know when greed affects our hearts? It's when we spend with ever asking God, what would you do with this money? And how many of us, based on that litmus test, are greedy to the core? Oh, we get paychecks faithfully deposited deposited into our checking accounts week in and week out, and we never ask the question, God, what would you have of this? What do you want of it? Where do you want me to spend it? How do you want me to use it? Are my neighbors in need? Is their family in need? God, have I given back to you? No. We look over and over again, and we say, it's about me. I need more. He only thinks of himself. Jesus tells us in verse 15, the reason why we do it is we believe that life consists in the abundance of things. To put it in a 21st century slang, he with the most toys wins. And we begin to think, we begin to think that we deserve it. We say to ourselves, well, I've worked hard. And so I should have it. I don't want to be the guy driving the oldest car in the neighborhood. 
I don't want to be the one who has the old flip phone. People will make fun of me. I deserve it. I need it for the sake of society. Let's just get it. And so therefore it becomes idolatry because you become God. And your money becomes worship. And so you come and you give your your money to the God who is yourself and you say, you deserve it. You're glorious. You're the most important. You're preeminent. And so all the money that comes in, you just feed it to self. But here's the problem. You may say, well, Tim, I have those ideas, but I don't allow them to take take, uh, effect in my life. Notice greed will always lead to a set of activities. You can't just think about being greedy because greed never stays in the heart alone. His greedy heart, listen, he has a conversation with himself. That's weird. Notice he says, and I ask myself, soul... You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. He doesn't just think it. What does he do? He moves to action. I'm going to tear down my old barns, and I'm going to build bigger ones. Now, let's think about this for a moment. At some point in his life, he built the smaller barns. And he said the smaller barns at some point in his life were ample, right? That's why he built them. But something happened in his life that said, I have to build bigger ones. Now, we never see that, that his wife had quadruplets, okay? And that they were going to have more fee, uh, mouths to feed. And they were going to have to be taken care of. It doesn't say the mother-in-law moved in and therefore needed more, more ample storage. What took place, the only thing that changed was the amount of money or resources he had at his disposal and so the only thing that changes is the amount that was in his bank account and he says well listen if i'm going to have this amount in my bank account if i'm going to have this big of a house i've got to fill it with all uh, sort of things and it wasn't out of a need but out of want and so what he was okay with for a season now is no good anymore again i go back to my introduction We love our car until we see the new one, right? The worst time in my life is when I travel and have to drive a -a rent-a-car. Because they don't give me the jalopy. They give me the brand new one. Listen, it is a Ponzi scheme by auto dealerships. Because I go, okay, and everything works in those cars. The last time I got into a -a rent-a-car, it said, hello, Timothy Badal. I mean, you know how your self-esteem is raised when a car talks to you? I felt like I was Night Rider. <laughs> and I come home to my old rusty car and I say, well, it's not talking to me. It can't tell me where to go. It's as lost as I am. I need something better. This isn't good enough. Well, did my needs change? No. I don't have any more people that I got to put in the car. My wants changed. And so this guy tears down what he has. And I want you to think about this. The idiocy that, that you would spend all kinds of money to tear down what was good enough for you the day before. But now that something changed, now you're going to build new things. So you tear down, you spend all that money just to tear it down. So in replacement, you can build it up to do what? To keep it for yourself. This guy is greedy. And he's not just greedy in the heart. He's greedy in action. How often do we spend money 
so we can keep things for ourselves? How much time and energy are we wasting keeping track of our money that we may never need in the future? Now listen, I'm not against investing. I'm not uh, against saving, okay? Only a fool would consume all that he has. But how much time and energy do we spend on taking care of ourselves with regards to greed? Jesus says, listen, there's a better way. I want you to notice in the text, as we move to this final point, Jesus gives a clear solution regarding it. And I want you to notice, he does not, and this is very important, and we skim right by it, but it's very important that we read what Jesus has done. There's a reason for a break that the Bible uh, translators put a break at the end uh, of verse 21 and into verse 22. Notice Jesus is no longer speaking to the crowd but he's speaking to his disciples. Jesus gives a preview. Jesus gives a blurb about greed being a problem, but then he turns to his disciples, these men that he has grown in great intimacy with and and whom he loves and and who, who are going to be called to proclaim the kingdom of God. And he says to his disciples, there's a solution to greed. There's an antidote to greed. And he puts it this way, and he says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat or drink, uh, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. You think he's bringing that up for a reason? He just called the guy a fool because he's building greater storehouses. These guys don't have it. And yet God feeds them, he says. Oh, how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you being anxious can add a single life to the span of one's life? If then, if then you are not able to do as a small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, the flowers, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are able to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heavens that do not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." What's the antidote to greed? What's the answer to greed? What is the clear solution towards greed? Number one, the clear solution begins by guarding against all forms of greed. We live in a world of overabundance, and so Jesus says, take care. Protect yourself. Guard yourself against greed. Literally, the phrase guard was a military term of a city that would build a wall that would make it nearly impossible for the opponent or the enemy to enter in. And it wasn't good enough to just simply build an infrastructure, but then they would set sentries or guards around that wall 
to be on the lookout 24-7 of any enemy activity. How different our spending would be if we would build walls in our life and place guards in our life that would uh, begin to ask questions. I can assure you of this truth. I've never bought a car or bought any large uh, item without going and talking to a couple close friends of mine. And here's why. Because the heart's deceitfully sick who can understand it. And so I'll tell some people, and one of them is my father. And my father doesn't like to buy anything, okay? And he especially doesn't want his son to buy anything. And I'll say, hey, Dad, I'm thinking about getting a new car. Really? What's wrong with the old car, son? What's the problem with it? How much are you going to spend? Well, that seems like a lot of money. Back in my day, always goes back to his day. Okay? Why do I do that? So I can get a pound of flesh knocked out of me? No, I do it because I recognize I want and I need to have. And I recognize someone else doesn't have that fire burning in their belly. That they say, hey, hey, wait a minute. Let's check some other things. What do you got in your savings? Have you thought about if something happens here or something happens there? Hey, hey, think about this. Think about that. Have you, have you been faithful in your giving to the Lord? You see, when we bring guards and sentries and build walls with regards to our greed, a lot of that greed is going to be kept out. We're going to be protected from that. And you say, well, why do I have to build walls around that? Who am I really hurting? The Bible makes it clear. First Timothy chapter 6 says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into snares, and into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor, I've had marriages that are falling apart sitting in my office telling me hardship cases because money has created all kinds of problems. How many people are struggling and not finding the joy of the Lord because they can't find the way to pay for the things that their heart set on and they bought. We need to guard against it. And there's all kinds of greed. There's all manner of greed around us. One of the things that as a pastor I struggle with more and more is the idea of greed with regards to churches because we live in a society that's greedy and so we come in as consumers when we come to church. Well, I'll go to this church because it has this, 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 and this. And so we, we choose based on greed, not on worship, not on God's calling, but what it does for me. Greed's all over the place and we have to guard against it. Number two, how do we guard against greed? We're grateful, we're grateful for all of God's goodness. Jesus says, listen, look at the lilies and look at the birds. They're small in the grand scheme of things. And God takes care of them. They're not sitting there trying to figure out where they're going to get their next meal. They're not trying to figure out where where they're going to park their third car. They're not going up to the storage department and saying, hey, I need a bigger storage unit because I got so much stuff. They don't have any of that. And God takes care of them. And how much more does God love us than ravens and lilies? Amen? He loves us way more. Because listen, how do we know he loves more? For God so loved the world, us, the people, that he gave his one and only son. Jesus didn't die for the lilies. Jesus didn't die for the ravens. Jesus didn't become a lily or a raven. He put on flesh and made his dwelling among us that he might save you and I, humanity, from our sins. He loves us way more than he loves those things. And he provides. 
we have what we need. And we need to be grateful. Contentment destroys greed. When you are satisfied in the things that God has given, you will not be greedy for more. So the next time greed begins to well up in your heart, ask the contentment question. Am I content? If I never get that new car, am I content with the car that God has given me? Am I content with the house that God has given me? Am I content with the clothes God has given me? Am I content with the life that God has given me? Because if you're not, you will never be content. You will never have enough. So we need to go and we need to say, Lord, you've been so good to me. Sammy Sosa, when asked years ago about breaking the Hall of Fame or the uh, home run record, would say over and over again, they would say, you know, what are you looking for? And he says, listen, before I even talk about what I'm pursuing, I want to remind you, baseball's been very, very good to me. I'm living a privileged life. Whether I hit another home run or not, my goodness, where I've come from and where I am at today, my goodness, God has been so good. And each of us, God has been so good. If he never gave us another thing, we are a blessed people. And so we need to be grateful for that goodness. Oh, we teach our children that, don't we? Be grateful for what you have. Be happy for what you have. And then we go and live totally different. So what should we go after? Go after God, not riches. Verse 31, seek. Seek God first. Seek God best. Seek God most. In essence, be greedy for God. You want to be greedy for something? Be greedy for God and His kingdom. Have an insatiable appetite for God and His work. Get fired up when the new things that God's doing is in the showroom, not the new car, not the new house. Oh, we look with great admiration to the lifestyles of the rich and famous instead of the life of the God who gives riches. So pursue that. What would your neighbor say if they looked at your checkbook this morning? Do you go after things or go after God? Would they be able to look? Because the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So as they look at your, at your spending, would they be able to say, man, this guy loves God. He's on fire for God. Or would your neighbor see the same purchases of one who's on their way to hell, who gives no thought to God? Greed can be found by just looking at the ledger of our checking account. Are we going after God and eternity? Or are we building up things for the here and now? Knowing, knowing, and this is what makes it absolutely inexcusable. Knowing at the end of the day, all of this will burn. Go after God, not riches. And how do we do that? We give generously. We give generously. You see, do we believe Psalm 19, verse 10, the word of God is worth more than gold? More than fine gold? Do we believe the gospel is greater than that? You see, I know that we we talk about giving at this church, and, and I know it becomes secondhand to you. You're like, you know, why do they talk about money? Why, why do they, why every week, why do they go there? Because every week we come in as greedy people. 
And your pastor's included in this. And I have to be reminded that, first of all, God's the giver of all the things that I have. And God doesn't require all of it back, but a portion of it back. And he says that it is better to give than to receive. And we are reminded each and every day that God has given to us. We woke up this morning, right? The atmosphere didn't impale us, right? God gave another day. God gave us sun. God gave us life. God gave us breath. He gave us resources to be able to live this life. None of us came to church naked this morning, and that's not a joke. He gave, he gave, he gave. And what God requires of his people is that we give as well. And you can take that as a guilt trip, but that's a problem you have with God, not the preacher. God says, you want to be like me? Then be a giver. Give to church, give to hurting people, give to the poor. Be generous. God wasn't stingy with us. He was generous. But the problem is, our hearts are filled with greed. It's about us. It's not about God. And that's why Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So this morning, you want to know if you're a greedy individual? Where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? What's most important? Is it how you look in your home? How you drive in that car? What you wear? God says, don't worry about those things. But seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And he says, the rest will be taken care of. What a great reminder for us this morning. That above all else, Christians should treasure God. I pray that as you study and work through this, God will convict you in the right places, in the right ways, as he's already done in my life. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. And I thank you for this timely word in a culture, in a society, and yes, even in a church that at times can be so filled with greediness. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would change us, that you would would mold us and make us different. Father, I pray that we might see you as most glorious, that we might see you as the great satisfier of our souls, and that we might stop trying to feed that satisfaction in our own ways and turn to you and give you the place that you deserve and that's first place lord i pray that as we do so we'd become generous with you and generous with others and we do so not out of a duty of a duty but out of a deep desire to thank you and to proclaim you as more important than all else i pray lord that when we do that we might experience the abundance that you talk about that we might experience knowing that we are right where you want us, that we might experience the, the daily answer to prayer with regards to our daily needs, that we might see you as God, glorious and great. So Lord, lead us out into a world where greed is abounding more and more and show us constraint, show us contentment, And cultivate in our hearts a desire to honor you in how we pursue and spend and use the resources that you give us. Let us bring glory and honor in the way we spend our money, the way we purchase and buy things in the week to come. Now send us forth, Lord, in peace, in the fellowship of others we ask. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, amen.